Well, on the OHL podcast this week, it's not just games we have to talk about, but a road trip already in the books too. And wait until I tell you about Ottawa. But that's for a little bit later. Dan Mahar over there. I'm Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I am at Farwell underscore OHL. Dan, I know it's early in the season. The teams are going to tell you it's early in the season. The fans get a little bit anxious, but they have to be reminded it's early in the season. However, early in the season, the fans, particularly in London and Kitchener, must be a little bit on the tense side because even though it's only two weeks in, nobody I don't think expected to see these two teams, London and Kitchener, Western Conference powerhouses at the very bottom of not just their conference, but of the OHL right now. They're both O for the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, I, no one predicted that. And I think I uh, always have to preface this discussion by saying we know it's early. No one's sounding huge alarm bells. It's four games in. You're not going to send the panic alarms this early. Having said that, those two cities are not used to this level of play. And there are some very alarming red flags in both cities, I, I think. Uh, London, you have to be concerned about the fact that they did not end last year very well. It looked like there was some discord in that in that room last year, and it's kind of carried over into this year. Uh, and of course, with Kitchener, you have a fairly veteran roster that a reasonable amount is expected of this year with a new coach and whatnot, but the pretty some pretty lifeless uh, efforts so far, which have to have those fan bases uh, a little bit concerned for sure. We talked about this in our Western Conference preview a few weeks ago when it comes to London. And the question was, you know, in the absence of last year's firepower, uh, Evangelista and Strongest particularly, where were the goals going to be coming from? And obviously we are seeing that that is the, I guess, the storyline early on for the London Knights. Three losses, only four goals scored through those three losses. So that's clearly not going to get it done. And and for me, like I've I've heard people now already talking about this being a, a complete rebuild year for the London Knights. I thought when they acquired a nice piece like Sam Dickinson, and look what he does on opening night, he and, and Oliver Bonk go into on one and did, you know, it, it was a thing of beauty watching two defensemen do what they did. But I thought that might signal that they weren't ready to take as big a step back as it looks like they might be taking. Again, this is really early but but maybe the london knights are right now looking and i'm i'm hearing some buzz around the rinks that they are focused almost with laser sights on the 24 25 season as the season that they are going to be a serious contender so two seasons now from here and you're not used to hearing that in london you're not used to hearing you know we're focused on the future they're they're a team that's used to contending every year uh, even if it's kind of a mid-pack mid-upper pack but they're there and they're a threat every year so to have them take that view has got to be a little bit different for the fan base something they're going to have to adjust to um your point about dickinson often you see in in junior hockey it's the first month or two of the season when they get the kids make hay uh some of the veterans are kind of facing themselves some haven't returned from camps yet um, so those kids often get off to a decent start uh, and then kind of the schedule catches up to them. I, I wouldn't expect a kid like at Dickinson's age to be a dominant player this season, but but getting plenty of ice time with the future in mind for sure. And yeah, you saw London struggle mightily to beat uh, young Mr. Schenkel there with with Sue the other night and and Sarnia really uh, found an answer to him to him yesterday. So 
I think goal scoring is going to be an issue for London. They, dare I say, were a little thin the last year or two, le- leaning on a couple players heavily for the scoring. And when those players are gone, who steps in? Um, I know we, we flagged a few people in previous podcasts that might step into that, and they haven't yet. And, of course, they're still missing Logan Mayu on the back end. They've got a few issues that will, I'm sure, uh, correct over time. But I, I, I'm with you. I don't see this as being a real power year for London, and we don't often say that. Good point on Charlie Schenkel. We should give him the recognition that he is due shutting out the London Knights in London, no less, and one nothing, no less. The goal by the Sioux comes in the first period. Schenkel makes it stand up with a 35-save performance. First Sioux shutout of London in about eight years. Pretty impressive stuff for the young goaltender up there in Sault Ste. Marie. Okay, let's shift our attention uh, a little further east on the 401 to that other traditional Western Conference powerhouse. And as you noted earlier, with a, a largely returned team, I think rightly getting the buzz that it was getting coming into this season. Added some real nice pieces on the back end in Hunter Brustevich and Tomas Hamara, but it just hasn't come together for the Kitchener Rangers yet. Again, very early, but 0-4 is not what anybody expected I wouldn't think and and I will add to that Dan that I feel it would have been fair to predict three Rangers at least in top 20 scoring this year Reed Vlad Joseph Serpa certainly based on their their year last year now as overagers and Francesco Pinelli uh, with maybe a bit of a mission in his uh, second year as captain those three guys I think you could have at least penciled in to top 20 scoring Pinelli has already shown the flashes that we know he has offensively, but to see Serpa with the, the number of points he has through four games surprises me quite a bit, especially considering the way he played last year. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely fair. You had some pretty reasonable performances from those players last year. And with another year under the belt, you expect some, some level of dominance. Um, I, I think junior hockey, one of the biggest issues is getting consistency and having players that play the same way every shift and, and limit mistakes and are going threat. And I, from what I've seen early on, Kitchener has has some issues there. They're not getting a lot of consistent efforts, a lot of shifts that look semi-mailed in at times. Um, some decent flashes, but just the consistency of effort in organization hasn't been there. And and I think one thing you heard Coach Chris Dennis reference that a few players have gone off script a bit early um, when he was speaking to the local reporter, Josh Brown. And I think that's fair, but I, I, I think issues Kitchener is going to have to address in the long term are they they haven't played with enough pace for this league the last uh, couple seasons I think that's a real issue for them they lack some speed and there's a lack of sandpaper there too to some extent and the OHL isn't about toughness and and grit and goonery anymore but there is some need for sandpaper in this league and, and you don't see a lot of that pushback in the Ranger lineup right now so between that perceived lack of pace and some lack of grit they're they're struggling to find an identity and we'll see how they sort that out. But there are some issues there in that lineup that I think have to be addressed. It was really strange looking at the Midwest division, particularly coming into the second weekend of the season again, because we've all talked about how strong the Midwest looks this season and coming into the second week of the season, the only Midwestern division team with a win was the Owen Sound attack. Erie, you might have expected to not have a win, but Guelph, London, and Kitchener all took into their second weekend of the season. Well, and Guelph only is the only one that gets the win now. Erie has one as well over London, but just a strange sight 
in the Midwest division early on. Yeah, and Mike, that's probably uh, reason enough to assume this is just an anomaly, an early season anomaly, because we know that's not how the Midwest is going to end up. We know things are, the ship's going to get righted to some extent, but I think there's enough evidence early on to suggest that that maybe they're, the power balance isn't quite what it was, uh, but I think we're going to see some correcting in the standings over the next couple months for sure. Just want to put a quick note in here for the Saginaw Spirit, which is a team, obviously, that got a lot of buzz because of Michael Misa, the exceptional player, goes first overall to Saginaw. Okay, great. But in the first weekend, they put up 10 against the uh, expected powerhouse Guelph Storm. And then just this past weekend, they hang a seven on the Sarnia Sting. I mean, 17 goals in just those two games, both victories, is more than the Rangers have scored in four games so far this season. Again, I don't think anybody's expecting Saginaw to to suddenly run away with the West division, but oh my goodness, those are some crooked numbers to be putting up. Well, I know in a previous podcast, you flagged how much you love Pavel Minchikov, and and I I did as well, but noted that, you know, I thought you meant went a little higher in the NHL draft than I anticipated. And of course he heard that and said, you're, you're a moron. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what I think of that prediction. So he's, he's on fire. I numbers like this out of a defender in the OHL are, are rare and obviously won't keep up this pace, but uh, pretty impressive stuff you're seeing from that's a real general on the back end, arguably probably the top one in the league this year. And, and when you have that player in your lineup, that changes everything. And I'm not suggesting Saginaw is now a contender, but I'm suggesting that they're, they're going to be a handful when you have players like that in the lineup. So they've shown it in the first weekend and, uh, and boy, it's hard to, hard to figure what to, what to make of them, but uh, they're exciting. They're entertaining. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's turn our attention to the other side of the league in the Eastern conference. And I had the chance to be there for the first time in almost three years, given the last time, The Rangers crossed into the Eastern Conference for Ottawa and Kingston, especially. And of course, the lost season due to COVID, et cetera. It was almost three years to the day that we were back in both the nation's capital and the Queen City of Kingston. And let's just be clear about something right off the top here as we turn to the Eastern side of the conference and particularly the city of Ottawa. Just like it's early in the season to be talking about the starts that some of these teams are having and we would expect it to turn around. I want to make it clear that the city of Ottawa itself is a fantastic city. And Dan, you would know this because you've got family up in the nation's capital. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I make several pilgrimages to Ottawa a year. Yeah, I've got uh, lots of family, including my brother in Ottawa. And, and as, it's just a remarkable city, walkable, tons to do. Uh, yeah, it's a fanta- fantastic place to to visit uh, unless you're visiting OHL team. Uh, they're, they're running into some trouble for sure. And, and, and that's Ottawa's a team when we did those predictions in the back of my mind, I wanted to give them more due than they were getting. We'll see if they keep it up, but there's, I just see an awful lot of potency in that lineup. And, uh, and so far they're showing it. That, that's a great point. And four and O to start the season, best in class in the OHL right now. And they get win number four in Dave Cameron's 750th game behind the bench. So shout out to coach Cameron and what he's been able to accomplish in this league. And yeah, a four and start uh, Beck Boucher, the younger Pinelli look awfully good. And then what can you say about a guy like Matir on the back end? He's just uh, about as studly as they come as far as defensemen are concerned. So a four and start for the Ottawa 67s. And before I get to my story about Ottawa, because I admit it's a very, 
selfish, self-centered story, but I think there's merit to it. Talking about family with you, Dan, I recall a previous podcast where I said, we're going to get to the Rick Mahar story at some point, or at least the Rick Mahar connection. So what better time when talking about members of the Mahar family? Uh, Cousin Rick is uh, no slouch in the hockey world. Yeah, Cousin Rick was, uh, you know, I got to ride on his coattails for a lot of years, uh, pretending that I had some of that, those genetics. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, he, he, for a little quick backstory, my dad's family, my dad being the last of nine kids. So of course, his brother Al's son, Rick, was nearly 20 years older than me. So he carved out his career while I was just a kid. Um, he was athlete of the decade at Boston University. Uh, Big scorer through his whole lead up to the NHL. When he got to the NHL, uh, coaches converted him to a defensive center. So he he was the checking center in the NHL through the era of Gretzky, Lemieux, Eiserman, you name it, uh, in the year of the in the years of the shadow. So he uh, that was his role, and he carved out a Selkie Trophy win towards the end of his career in '91. And um, so he had as captain of St. Louis is where he ended his career. Um, quite a, quite a remarkable athlete in every regard, still shooting low seventies in golf and living in the Belleville area still. So, uh, yeah, Rick, Rick has lots of, lots of great stories, um, from his hockey days, but, uh, yeah, still, still an Ontario resident as we speak. I remember saying when I brought this up on a previous podcast, if you don't know who Rick Mahar is, you should. And certainly, hopefully, if anybody didn't, they Googled it by now, but they got the Coles notes right there from his much younger cousin, Dan Mahar. So still in the Quinty region, Belleville, which is a stop that I miss on this Eastern swing, as we call it from the West going over to Ottawa, Kingston now, but just a note about Ottawa, you talked about the walkability of the city and how nice it is as a place to visit. And again, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. I think it's a fantastic city. I spent a ton of time. I think the one day we were there, I got 17,000 steps in walking back and forth to the rink and through the Glebe and all these different areas. It was fantastic. And I love, absolutely love uh, the area now around the hockey arena at uh, TD Bank Place, where they've got the football field and the soccer pitch right outside and then the hockey arena. Obviously, um, the Ottawa 67s are now third-class citizens in, in that setup. It's it's all about the CFL. It's all about soccer. And it's it's very little about the 67s, which is too bad because, Dan, you and I would both remember the heyday when they're getting 9,000 fans into the Civic Center to watch uh, an Ottawa 67s game. So it, it's disappointing for me as a fan of this league uh, from that perspective because it's a beautiful area to go see a game. Uh, everything in that spot is perfect. They just, I don't think the hockey team, the junior hockey team anyway, gets its due. And just to bring it now, to make it really self-centered, it's frustrating as a member of the media to go there. And I've shared some of the behind the scenes stuff. If you want to check out uh, our YouTube page, the OHL podcast, uh, just to give you a, a, a little sense, like there are lots of parts of it that I like in the arena, but ultimately two things happen that don't really sit well with me. One is the whole approach to uh, how media is, is treated and, and dealt with. And I'm not trying to sound like or make it sound like I think we need a red carpet rolled out for us and we need to be treated like some kind of royalty. If I get a slice of pizza and a cup of coffee before the game, I'm a pretty happy guy. But the stats packs that we have access to uh, are, are kind of important for us to do our job better. And you couldn't find uh, a, a printed package of stats anywhere in Ottawa. If it wasn't for my broadcast colleague in Ottawa, Kenny Walls, I wouldn't have had 
anything by way of stats other than what I had been able to prepare myself. Most drinks you go into and you've got a media room where you can pick up a stats pack, you can get that slice of pizza and that cup of coffee, et cetera, and off you go. So no real support for the media side. I never saw a person there who seemed to be responsible for making sure that I, as a member of the media, had what I needed, and then just finish it off with your broadcast booth, so to speak, which is a platform in the stands. Like there, there could be sit, people sitting behind you, beside you, right in front of you, walking up. And it's, again, <laughs> I, I'm not asking for, uh, you know, my own little ivory tower here, but it it's not the easiest working condition. And as media, we have the opportunity to, I think, be the conduit to the fans from that arena, from that place of work. And the easier you make our jobs, the the better a conduit I think will be. So I've gone on a little bit here. Again, you can check it all out on the OHL podcast YouTube page. Just get a sense of what it looks like from the media's perspective. And just to tie a bow on this, going to Kingston two days later, they could not have been more accommodating. Jordan Jackson is their new manager of media and game operations, came personally introduced himself, brought the stats pack to me, made sure I had everything I needed. And let me tell you what a world of difference that makes. Love calling a game from the Leon Center, period. Jordan made it that much easier on me. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast from Kingston, which I think you're not because there are no fans apparently of the Frontenacs, but if you are, tell other people to go to the game because what a disappointment in such a great city with a great arena to have so few fans. Okay. There's my rant, but Ottawa has just got to do better, Dan, when it comes to the way they approach the media side of the game. Well, Mike, I think ties back to also a previous pod where we talked about this in the OHL and regaining its kind of mind share in the, in the sports landscape. And to do so, you, these teams have to run themselves like professional operations. And that that's where it starts. You, 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 it may sound self-serving as a member of the media to say so, but uh if any team in this league has no excuse to to be so hands-off, it's Ottawa. They have a great city, great fan base, great resources, a great team. So it takes so little effort to to accommodate the media and, and use them as that conduit that you mentioned. So so just a little, uh, you're on the clock, Ottawa, um, but I'd also tip a cap there to uh, to Jordan, who you mentioned in, in Kingston and, and the way they operate. Because And Kingston fans, if you're listening here, get out to see that team. That you, If nothing else, you've got an incredible arena and uh, that team deserves your support. So get out there and do it. I, I talked to Jimmy Gilchrist, who's for more than four decades now been the radio voice of the Kingston Frontenacs. And again, a guy that makes your life so easy as a visiting member of the media. Jimmy was texting me on the Sunday morning hours before the game with some of his own stats, because here's a quick little fun story about Jimmy Gilchrist. He was so good, so good and meticulous when it came to the preparation of stats that he would not only make for himself back in the Kingston Canadians days, but also shared with other broadcasters when they came into the arena that the league picked up on picked up on it and along comes Herbie Morell and they start making stats packs for the Ontario Hockey League based essentially on what Jimmy Gilchrist was doing all by himself up in Kingston the guy hasn't slowed down in 40 plus years still providing all of that stuff and I was chatting with him as we were leaving the rink on Sunday afternoon and I said what is like you got a nice young team here you even when 
you know, Shane Wright was there last year with Martin Chromiak and, and Zade Wisdom and all these other, and they've had some good teams over the years, but never been able to draw. And he says, one of the big complaints is the ticket price. And I shake my head at that because they're, they're right on par with the rest of the league. And if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, go see these players for 25 bucks today, because it's going to cost you 250 tomorrow. And if you're from Kingston, you're probably overnighting to your nearest Oh, well, I guess maybe not. You could go up to Ottawa, I guess, for, for a day trip. But I I just don't understand it at all, why they wouldn't go and support those teams. You know, I, I hear you loud and clear. And I'm, I'm not going to shame anyone for, for taking issue with the prices because I don't know anyone's financial situation. The economics are tough these days, especially with everything we're hearing about inflation and whatnot. But that, that being said, uh, there are choices people make with their entertainment dollar. And, and like you said, this... Uh, I'm not sure how they can make ticket prices much lower. I'll put you that way that for the product you're icing and, and what they have to provide for these kids from a development perspective and travel. And uh, you, you have to make a dime and these OHL teams, a lot of them are struggling to do that. So I'm not sure the ticket prices are going to come down a whole lot. And when you put it in the context of some of these fans, I will bet in Kingston make the track uh, once or twice a year to go see a leaf game or, or up to Ottawa CSN's game and are probably dropping as much on one of those games as they would to see half a season for the OHL. So, so like you said, it, it, there, there's definitely some room there for some more support, regardless of, of ticket prices. All right. This little diversion in the podcast brought to you by the OHL podcast YouTube page. Again, you can see behind the scenes of both of these arenas on the YouTube page. Shout out to Jordan Jackson, the great work he's doing in Kingston and Ottawa. Please consider stepping up the game just a little bit because the easier you make it for media, the easier it is for us as media to translate that excitement to the fans who are listening to our broadcasts or reading what we write or whatever the case may be. Let's talk more now about the Eastern Conference. Obviously, the, the class of the league right now, the 4-0 and o Ottawa 67s, but a team, Dan, that you highlighted again, looking back to our Eastern Conference preview now that we did here on the OHL podcast, you talked about Mississauga liking the way they looked again this year coming into the season. And lo and behold, in the same week, Del Mastro, uh, Beck, and Del Bell Belouz are all back from pro camp. So if the Steelheads were good prior, they're better even now. Yeah, and and yeah, they were they were my dark horse right off. Well, I wouldn't see dark horse. They're they're not under the radar anymore. But I I had them tapped as a as a top contender right right away. And and this was before some of the things that materialized. But uh, I think when you had those players you mentioned come back from camp, and we know Owen Beck had a terrific camp in Montreal, a little bit of an expected lull when these kids come back. And I think when you look at the stat sheet so far, at least statistically, Owen Beck hasn't been a big contributor yet. I'm sure he will be, but they're doing this without big contributions from some of those players. Del Mastro was fantastic in the, in the games this week. Uh, you look at that full team effort. Uh, we talked about what's plaguing London and Kitchener so far. And it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. They went into a tough Bayshore arena in, in Owen Sound the other night and just blanketed a fairly good Owen Sound team with some potent uh, attackers and did it with a full team game. A lot of players. Uh, you got Kai Schwint there. You got a bunch of players that were just committed to the hard on the forecheck, great angles to the puck, not a lot of availability through the neutral zone. And when you slow up uh, the Colby Barlows and Cedric Gandones and those players through the neutral zone, what are you doing? You're, you're shutting them out. You're, you're really limiting the offensive opportunities. And that's what, that's what Mississauga is doing right now. And boy, if you get a full team effort like that, 
look out when you start getting those uh, those great offensive results from Del Belbalus and Beck, and uh, that's that's definitely a team to look out for. So looking bigger picture now in the Eastern Conference, Dan, we talk about Mississauga. We mentioned the record of Ottawa. The Kingston Frontenacs have points in three of four games at this point. North Bay is a strong team. Peterborough, I look as a a little bit of a dark horse there in the East. Goyette and company up in Sudbury are no slouches. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to count this off. And I'm wondering, are we seeing maybe a, a little bit of a shift in the balance of power in the Ontario Hockey League? It was long considered that West was best. But the last couple of years, and this one might be another one, looks like the Eastern Conference has got some things figured out. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make a crack, but we're all getting tired of the East beating up on the West, Mike. We need, we need a shift here. <laughs> yeah, that, early returns, and 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 you know, I think we both saw this in our predictions uh, in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, where we looked at it. And we, we saw a lot of talent in the East this year, and uh, and some talent leaving the West. Uh, not saying that it won't balance out over time, but uh, there's some really dangerous teams in the East, and even you even mentioned Sudbury. Sudbury wasn't given a whole lot of do in, in a lot of predictions I saw, but there's some talent up there and they had some really impressive uh, efforts. I mean, going into Flint and beating them, you've got, you've got a lot of ability and you see a team like Barry, who's had a bit of a, a pedestrian start. We know they're going to be there. A lot of, uh, there's going to be a battle in the East this year, a lot of good teams. And uh, you mentioned Peterborough, who I know is a team you like, and Connor Lockhart's certainly looking like he's coming into his own early in the season. So you look up and down that uh, that conference standings in the last couple of years, it's been easy to say, oh, these are the two teams you have to worry about and everyone else are kind of also rans. This year, I'm seeing an awful, awful lot of contenders or at least trouble. Um, no one's going to walk away with that conference. You've probably got six, seven teams there that could do some damage. So great for the league. Great to see. And even better that we're, we're seeing these teams come through the West this year for those of us who live in the West. The North Bay Centennials were into Ottawa uh, the day after the Rangers were there. And I got a chance to snoop around the room a little bit as they were getting ready uh, on game day. And I hadn't seen before. So we shared this on the OHL podcast Instagram page as well. Um, they've, it's 25 years now of battalion hockey. And they've got the Roman numerals on their uh, the shoulder of their jersey. Uh, the first Roman numeral is uh, gold. X and then the other XV are are black, showing uh, the ten years back in North Bay and the first fifteen years of the Battalion franchise in Brampton. So it's kind of neat to see that, and and it it struck me twenty five years now of Battalion hockey, and I was also thinking a little bit about the Niagara Ice Dogs because uh, they made a deal about a week ago, a little over a week ago now, um, and it was their seventeenth trade since the end of June. They're 17th. They have they have made deals with more than half of the Ontario Hockey League at this point. I, I know there's no cap on the number of deals a team can make, but boy, oh boy, are they ever trying to make sure that everybody knows that this is a much different regime now in St. Catharines. Yeah, and there's another team we didn't mention earlier on, but they're, they've reshaped that lineup. And you, you talk about the most recent deal there, bringing in the LeBlanc, twins from from Kitchener bring in repatriating some southern tier boys uh to play closer to home and those are both 18 year old players now so they're they're clearly making an effort to get a little more experience and a little bit of an older lineup which you know makes a world of difference in junior so when you look up and down that ice dogs lineup now you see an awful lot of uh, veteran experience and some players that have yet to come into their own but this is often when they do at 18 19 years old so 
yet another team not to be dismissed and uh and a little tip of the cap to the new ownership there for for giving those fans something to be a little bit excited about this year all right dan just as we wrap things up for this episode let's look ahead to the weekend ahead for the team that we follow most closely and that of course is the kitchener rangers uh the road doesn't get any easier at owen four you've got home games against owen sound a divisional opponent a strong opponent that's already beaten you and then oh the Flint Firebirds and Brennan Othman come to town on Sunday. So a tough weekend ahead for the Rangers. We already highlighted the the scoring struggles for the London Knights. How how long before you start seeing or or hearing louder calls for something to to change in one of those two cities? Like depending on how this weekend goes, uh, boy oh boy, you don't want to be three weeks in and still looking for your first win for either of those teams, London or Kitchener. Yeah, and in London, I don't know what that is because you've got the Hunters, obviously, they're instilled there, and I'm not sure Dale's stepping away anytime soon, uh, so what those changes would be. And Kitchener, obviously, got a new bench boss, so you're affording him a little time to to get acclimatized to the league. And and at this point, I think you're going to, when you have a veteran lineup like you do in Kitchener, for for, for sure, you're you're hearkening on the pride factor here. And some of these players are not going to be too happy they're own four. They're coming home to their own building. Fans are a little tense. So this is where you're just going to look for a little step up in that effort. And that's usually what gets it done and changes the course of the season. Um, but boy oh boy, like you said, those teams coming in this weekend to Kitchener, if they uh, if they were to ever lose one or two of those games, things are going to the the stress level is going to elevate quite a bit in that city because you, you got to figure some things out early, especially when you have weeks off and weeks of practice and uh, we'll see what they do with it. But there's, there's too much talent and, uh, and veteran experience in that lineup to, to go on like this. I would think. I will, I will drop one more nugget here before we sign off. And that is having been on the Eastern side of the Ontario hockey league and as close as one's going to get, to Montreal in the OHL right now, obviously being up Ottawa and Kingston way. Uh, the the rumors have it that Philip Mayshar is going to play a couple of games in Laval and then be sent Kitchener's way could, could be in the Ontario Hockey League by as early as this coming weekend. That's, I'm just passing along. It's strictly rumor. I'm not documenting sources or anything. It's just what the scuttlebutt was up in the nation's capital this past weekend. So we'll see what where that goes. But that would be a huge boost, obviously, for Kitchener. Yeah, and I know you don't want to get too deep into sources and references, but I will throw one at you there. I know J.F. Houle, who uh, is the head coach of the Val Rocket, Montreal's HL farm team, in his post-game comments after their two exhibition games this weekend, uh, was asked about Meshar and, and said that uh, he's a very good player. We're just not sure we are, we're going to have enough room because we've got a lot of forwards here which is probably a bit of a hint. Um, and and I know that uh, the Habs have been in contact with Mike McKenzie and the Rangers throughout. So looking reasonably promising that they might see Mishar here at some point. Of course, he put up a goal and assist in his game yesterday in Laval, so it's not like he isn't fitting in. Um, but we'll see. Uh, that's an infusion of speed and skill that you know, the Rangers could definitely use at this point. All right. He is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Tim Wallach. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime. Get in touch with this podcast. It's OHLpodcast at Rogers.com. You want uh, something that you think we need to be talking about, a guest you want to hear on this podcast, just general feedback, OHLpodcast at Rogers.com is the email address. Please like and subscribe and tell a friend 
about this podcast. Coming up on Friday's episode with our feature interview with a guest, it's a, uh, a former knight and a former ranger. Not a different person, but the same person who played for both teams and is now still working in the Ontario Hockey League with one of those two teams. I think that's plenty by way of hints. His conversation with us on the OHL podcast comes out Friday. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.